Well, hello, hello, hello. Welcome to our very first podcast. My name's Colin. I am here with our lovely co-host. My name's Adam. He is truly lovely. And this is In the First Degree, our very first episode. So hopefully a lot more to come. How are you doing, Adam? I'm doing pretty good. I'm feeling good. I'm not tired. It's like a good time of day to do this. A good time of day. All right. So you just want to kind of jump into it? Let's jump into it. Let's jump into it. Okay. So our story today is about the Hi-Fi murders. Like Wi-Fi? Like yeah, high five, kinda, kind of like Wi-Fi. High five. Well, it'll, the name will be explained. It's like give me, give me, give me high five. It's give like me a high five. Yeah. All right, but it's not. It's not nearly as cheery. No, it's not, <laughs> dude. Okay. All right. Can... So, our story starts off in the late evening of April twenty second, nineteen seventy four, in Ogden, Utah. Police officers Youngberg and Bocut respond to a scene at the Ogden Hi-Fi shop where dispatchers eerily report an unknown trouble. As officers pull into the parking lot, a woman in hysterics begins yelling, They've been shot! They've been shot! They're downstairs! About 40 miles north of Utah's capital, Salt Lake City, so you could get there in about 35 minutes from Salt Lake City to Ogden, give or take. So this is like Mormon territory. Yes, yes, actually, yes. Okay. Um, and it's about 10 miles uh, from the Great Salt Lakes. Okay. So it's okay. like really up north in the area. Uh, it's a relatively modest-sized town with a population of around 87,000 in a census taken in 2020, making it the eighth largest city in Utah. So well, that kind of shows like Utah is not really that much of a populous State. Yeah, it's very much like a close-knit community, I would say. Yeah, because Salt Lake City, their capital, um, is, I think, one one of, if not the most populated in city Utah? In, in Utah. I didn't get the uh, statistics for it. but So for Ogden, as a gateway to ski resorts such as Snow Basin, Powder Mountain, and Nordic Valley, Ogden is known for its proximity to Wasatch Mountains, housing Weber State University and possessing a lush history with many of its historical buildings still standing today. And there's a lot more about the town's history and culture, but that's a lot to cover, and we're not here for that, are we? No, we're not. No, we are not. So to get an understanding of what the Hi-Fi shop was, because it was in a shop called Hi-Fi Shop. Or... Oh, so Hi-Fi is the name of the shop. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Hi-Fi is an abbreviated term for the words high fidelity. The shop was a retailer for this kind of equipment that was used to produce high-fidelity sound for musical records and the like. Okay, Like okay. 1970s, so really the only kind of stuff that you could... It was your portable stuff st- was your record player. Like, our record player that we have is a lot more advanced because it's not quite as bulky as the items that they had back then in the 1970s. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. And considering considering what time the story takes place, it would cost a pretty penny to get your hands on this stuff. I can imagine. Pretty expensive. We could kind of draw a comparison with today's Guitar Center, you know? Yeah. But Guitar Center is 
you know, a lot more. Did they sell advanced. instruments over there or was it just like recording I don't, it, it Take away the instruments and it was more about like sound, like that kind of like equipment, you know? So, so it's like our, studio equipment. Yeah. So okay. our guitar center would uh, kind of be like their hi-fi shop, take away like instruments. Was it a local, like was it a, a popular spot? Yeah. Um, now to see an entire shop filled with this high value equipment, it made a motive for today's culprits to get in there, snag as much as they can, ship it away and resell on the black market. Truly an honest day's work, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Oh my gosh. But there was one stipulation that these people had. Leave no witnesses alive. Rule number one. Rule number one, but I don't like that rule, personally. I mean, I would rather prefer just have no witnesses, period. Oh my god. <laughs> well, do it in the dark of night when nobody's there. Did so, they do it in the middle of the day? It was more towards... We'll, we'll get there. Okay, but okay. if you're going to steal, do not, for the safety of the workers... I don't just don't steal in general, but don't le- leave it to affect anybody else. It should be. And this was like nineteen what nineteen seventy seventies. So like they didn't have any like assault rifles, did they? Assault Security rifles? cameras. I don't think. I don't know. I don't know if they were a thing back. If. They probably had just started, or they weren't around quite just yet. So security was very lack. Like, this is a small shop. so It's a small shop in a small town where the crime rate probably isn't even that high. Not really. So two workers would be working at the shop this night, Stanley Walker and Sherry Ansley. Stanley Walker was 20 years old with a tall and athletic build with dark hair. Kind of about what you picture when thinking of the average-looking white male. Yeah. You know? He was pretty involved with his community, having been a volunteer basketball coach, an activities coordinator for a men's club, and attended Weber State University, we mentioned a bit earlier in our introduction of the town, and was an elder, get this, for the local Mormon chapter. So you were right. (laughs) You were right. Salt Lake City. Yeah. So he was a pretty upstanding citizen. Sherry Ansley, she was 18 years old. Uh, A pretty new hire there, having only been working for about a week up until our story takes place. Having been so young, she was looking forward to the rest of her life and what it would bring with her recently becoming engaged and set to be married later into the year, I think August 5th of the same year. Many people would report her as a very outgoing person with a cheerful outlook on life. Okay. So... Though he wasn't a customer this day, Courtney Nesbitt, a third person, walked in earlier that day and explained that he needed to go next door to the neighboring Photoshop uh, store and pick up some pictures and ask for permission to park his vehicle behind the shop while he went to pick the pictures up and said that it wouldn't take too long. That's next level nice. Like, if I was going to park somewhere, I was just going to park. I know. But, like... Do they only have parking in the back? Where's the parking in the front? It might have been taken up, but this was like at night, so I don't know. Well, I guess maybe they didn't have as much parking as we do now. Now it's kind of standardized. Back then, it's probably just like a yeah. If it was like a mom and pop shop, because like my grandma had one, it was just like maybe two or three cars, and the rest was in the back. True. Well, having been met approval from Stanley Walker, he thanked the two workers and went on his way. Courtney Nesbitt 
was a 16-year-old local high school student with a keen intelligence in science. A dream of his was to become a pilot, and he had just hit a huge milestone on his journey, having completed his first solo flight without any aid from his teacher. At 16? At 16. That's so pretty this, impressive. So this kid making, making headway already. His teacher would then cut off his shirt tails and then pin them to a board with a diagram of the runway as well as the model of the airplane he used. This would be a ceremony or tradition that would be done to signify this great accomplishment. So it was like a post board he took home or something? No, I think like it was like a school and mm-hmm. they did it for all the students. So it's just to recognize their students, I believe. Because I know the cutting of the shirt. I think they still do that to today. Yeah. Yeah. But I think like pinning it to the board with, I believe, like other students who did. Oh, okay, okay. So it was like well. at the. It was like, oh, just to recognize their students. Because gotcha. it is a big accomplishment. Especially in the 70s. Yeah. They got the biplanes or something. Yeah. Now, once Courtney had left, we would see two vans consisting of six people pull up behind the shop where employees would load and unload goods. Now, it was just like a door, it wasn't like a loading bay. It was just like a back door. Like a back door. Gotcha, gotcha. It was a double door or just like a single door? Uh, I think it was probably like a double door. I'm not quite sure. I didn't really see that. Big enough to bring stuff in, but not too big. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha, so gotcha. It, it was probably wide. Now, four of these men had exited the vehicles, leaving two behind, watching over each van respectively. Like getaway drivers, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, one of the four men, Keith Roberts, then was stationed as a lookout slash loader for goods that they would be stealing. Was he one of the lo- lookouts? Yeah. One of the two. Okay, okay, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, we then are now left with three people. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pierre, Dale, Selby. That is three different ethnicities. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> William Andrews. And another man who was uh, seemingly unidentified, but I don't really, I guess because they didn't find him or something like that. Now, for the sake of introducing our key characters, we're going to take a pause and provide some background on them. So Selby, Pierre Del Selby, but we'll just refer to him as Selby, was born on the Isle of Tobago, like Trinidad and Tobago. Okay, so he isn't from Utah. No, no. Um, He was born there in 1952, but was raised on the uh, Isle of Trinidad. Okay. Now, if you don't know where that is, it's an island that lies north of Venezuela at the top of South America. So, like, at the very top. You know where it kind of, like, it juts out? Like the little land bridge? Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, I got you. Yeah. Like near Panama? I would say close, but more. it's more on, like, like right above, like, off the shore of Venezuela on the top of South America. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well... Growing up, Selby was a wild child, having always been getting in trouble for something. He was known for being a compulsive liar and his temper. His parents did try to convey good morals and values in him, but pretty much came to no avail. In June of 1970, at around 17 or 18, he left his home and traveled to New York, arriving on the 7th. So the 7th of June. So he got there... I think just in a matter of a few days. How old was he? 17 or 18. Oh. Yeah, Welcome so pretty to young. America. 
So for a span of three years, he lived in Brooklyn, after which he decided to join the U.S. Air Force, later on being assigned to the Hill Air Force Base in Utah. Did he have American citizenship somehow? I I don't I don't know. Do you have to have a citizenship to even join the military? Maybe like a. It was like a way to get citizenship. I, it's probably a way. Like I didn't really see anything about that. Um, something I don't know about the citizenship thing. But this this Air Force base that he joined was just south of Ogden, and he joined there as a helicopter mechanic. Okay. So, you know how for some people they decide to kind of just pack up their lives and settle somewhere far away to start new things? Yeah. Like, kind of... They were just fed up and it's like, you know what, I'm going to start a new life. Yeah, kind of setting a clean slate, you know? Uh, Because, you know, he had troubled history back at home. Mm -hmm. So, I'd imagine that it would kind of be something like that. Well, in this case, we would not see this for Selby as his attitude and behavior that was known to get him trouble back in Trinidad and Tobago would very quickly follow him to his new life in the Air Force, now becoming a prime suspect for the murder of Sergeant Edward Jefferson. Oh, wow. Yeah. So Jefferson was discovered in his apartment having been murdered by a bayonet. So a bayonet if, for people who don't know, is a knife that would typically be designed to be fitted at the end of a muzzle on a rifle. Yes. On the 1st of October, having been there for not even four months, Selby would be at Jefferson's apartment to tape music. Which, I don't know about, like, the relationship dynamics between people in the military. Um, I would just kind of find, like, a, a new person being at a sergeant's apartment like maybe well, they probably people. like developed like maybe like a close friendship like or a friendship at least pretty quickly to for the sergeant to welcome him into his apartment it could you know? be where you know stranger danger yeah because um from what i know like the different ranks is a big thing at work but out of work you're all kind of friends you're part of the same family and i'm guessing there's not a lot of people in the military that have the work ethic to be in the military and still have a music career, especially this is the seventies. Well, I don't think it was for being a musician. It was just to record music. Like, okay. So was it like one of them was a musician, but the other one was just recording it. No, it didn't really specify anything. It was just saying that he went to his apartment to tape music. Okay. So after a little bit of a search, Jefferson was an unable to find his keys to his car and apartment. Well, Selby joined the search, but it came to no avail. Later on, it would then be thought that Selby had swiped the keys and created duplicates of both um, the keys for the car so and this apartment. Would have been before they had like all the electric stuff, so you can probably just mm-hmm and and get this. He would sign under the name Curtis Alexander to draw attention away from himself. Sign what? Like to make the new keys. Okay. Like sign sign his name. Um yeah. Like I think like a lot of businesses do that where you sign your name, but yeah, he didn't use his name, so obviously up to no good. Yeah. If you're doing that to your sergeant, also feel this kind of apartment premeditated too. Pre, he he had some ideas. 
He would then show up to Jefferson's apartment the next day, only for his keys to magically appear. Out of nowhere, you know? Well, knowing things were just not adding up, Jefferson quickly changed the locks to his apartment and the ignition to his car, which is really smart. Wait, honestly. you can change the ignition? I I was surprised whenever I read that. I've but never somehow heard he anyone did. doing that before. Well, maybe not now. It was probably more probably more of like a common thing back I then, guess. or easily more easily accessible to do. Hmm. Yeah. Um, he would then confront Selby, who would adamantly deny everything. After this, the next we see of Jefferson would be October 5th with a bayonet having been stabbed so far into his face that only the handle could be seen. Oh, wow. And bayonets are pretty, like, long. Yes. So that is – and with stabbings, like, they're so much more personal than mm-hmm. shooting, so – for hit for that especially in the face a lot of people in don't go the for face. the face yeah that is it's like in the stomach slowly let you die but now this is like that yeah it's it's crazy so like having it go so far down he must have been super angry but detective don moore would take upon the investigation and came to the conclusion of selvi having been the murderer but there just wasn't enough evidence to convict him, so the case remained unsolved. Okay, so this is before DNA testing. Mm-hmm. What about fingerprints? Fingerprints? I think fingerprints were more of a thing, but DNA testing was not... Uh, I think it was maybe in the 80s, I believe. I would have to research that. But it's DNA is a fairly new concept. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Was it just a bayonet or was a bayonet attached to like a gun? Just a bayonet. So he like... They don't even have that much of a handle, too. So he, like, really, like... Mm-hmm. So now we move on to William Andrews. Andrews was born in Virginia in 1953. And by any standard, his upbringing was relatively normal, with him being a pretty well-behaved child. Well, he would join the Air Force in 1973, the same year as Selby, and was, too, stationed at Hill Air Force Base and was also a helicopter mechanic so from my experience they're probably pretty good friends well no they they really they um didn't know each other up until it was just a matter of coincidence that they would be joining the same year uh, at the same base doing the same thing that's super Hmm. coincidental but they had no relation up until they got to the base store yeah, and they're they're working together. There isn't really much about him up until this point, like nothing more like a dramatic history. No, yeah. Um definitely not as dramatic person. as Selby. Now, because of Selby's attitude, he was hard to make friends with at the base, yet Andrews was quite the opposite, having made quite a few friends, but through all odds, the two would become acquainted with one another and soon friends much to the chagrin of others who would slowly drift away from Andrews, leaving only the two of them. Okay. So, so they, he's the only one that stuck through it. Yeah, like, I don't know. I don't know what Andrews saw in Selby. but He was, he was trying to be a missionary. He was like, I can change him. Oh. I can make him better. I can make him better. I can make him. I can, I can fix, fix him. him. <laughs> <laughs> well... To their commanding officer, it would seem as though Andrews was very much of a follower to Selby's dominant range, dominant rage. Now, there's 
in a lot of duo murder stories, mm-hmm. they're always there's always or more typically than not a dominant and a submissive. Like the dominant being the one who's in charge, taking action, um giving who's, orders. Who's giving orders and the submissive is just doing everything that they say. Mm-hmm. Like ju- I guess to kind of like avoid conflict. There's a lot more to like how the relationship works that I didn't really research, but from what I know, it's whenever there's a lot of duo like mm-hmm. two people involved in a murder, there's always a dominant and a submissive. It's always one person's idea and they're all and the other one's just following. You never really get a shy murderer too many. No, I don't I don't think so. It's always you, know, you gotta well, have confidence. They're, 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 they're sh- I would I don't know. I would say like they're shy but because of the dominant person they they wouldn't do it like themselves but because they have that oh, the, person to like influence them then their they like internal like inhumanity comes out yeah yeah well the group of men would then enter the front door brandishing handguns at the two employees so Ansley and Walker and after they showed the handguns to the two employees, they then took them to the basement, bound them, and they were now helpless innocents to the store being robbed. It's reasoned that some near 24000 but I heard as much up to mid-$30,000 in today's standards, of equipment would be looted. Now, while all this was happening, Courtney Naisbitt... After finishing his errand of picking up some pictures, returned to the hi-fi shop in order to thank the two for allowing him to park his car. Honestly, a super nice kid. Like, no, like yeah, a, like, like he a, had his life going a for wonderful him. Wonderful kid. He was becoming a pilot. Yeah, well mannered. Well mannered. He was discovered by the robbers and t- and was too bound and taken hostage with Ansley and Walker. So far, it sounds like they're trying not to be violent, though. They've taken the steps to where, like, putting in the basement. Shut up. Let us do this. Oh. They well, didn't go in guns blazing. If Did, you remember their their motive to steal from the Haifa shop, but leave no witnesses. So oh, here here we go. Let's see. So they didn't have, like, masks on or anything. They just walked in with handguns. I don't believe so. I'm just brandishing handguns. Okay, that's rule, like, point one, then. Wear a mask. Wear a mask. I know. I guess this was before videotape, so people probably didn't, wasn't well, top like, on the priority. In order to not, if like, if you're going to have witnesses, you don't kill them. Just wear a mask. If you don't want people to recognize you, just wear a mask, and so, so nobody come, will come after you. But so they came in. They came to in. Kill no, people. they came in ready for bloodshed. Oh, okay. So time is now passing by, and it's becoming really late into the night. So so much so that Stanley's father, Orrin Walker was starting to get worried. Well, shouldn't he be home by now? What's taking so long? His worry would eat at him so much that he decided to hop in his vehicle and go to the store just to see if everything's all right. And this was before, like, cell phones. Mm-hmm. I think... Th- Did they have, like, brick phones? or like They had teleline for sure back then. I believe so. I think... I... I don't... know. I would say... I don't even know if back phones were... Much. The 70s, surely, because the 70s was like when Star Wars came out. I think late 70s. 
sometime in the seventies, but I think late seventies. I yeah. think like I know my mother has talked about like back phones before, but even then those were expensive. Yeah, yeah. But I think a lot of the times they were placed in cars. Yeah, yeah. So he would have to be in his vehicle anyway. So I yeah. just imagine that he was like, I don't I'm not gonna call him for my car if I have a back phone, I'm just gonna go up there. Yeah. Well back when gas was twenty nine cents, you can afford drive your truck up there. Oh my there. gosh, nowadays. Woo. He would arrive at the store and as patterns repeat, he too would be taken hostage. So would, how long did this take them? This man got in his car after waiting so long, drove up there. I think we're probably maybe into like an hour. Oh, so, so like this, they're this looting whole, this the whole place. ordeal lasted only like a like a few hours. So it didn't take too long. It wasn't like a hostage situation where what I'm guessing so there was pretty late at night like the evening I'm guessing. Like they should be closed. There's no one the no one came up no one else came in the store. Apparently not. They were Well, I think it was after closing. And this so This is poorly planned. I, well, I, actually <laughs> it was quite meticulous that um as detectives would come to reason like how they planned it detectives would say this was a well thought out plan Hmm. um it would be at this point that ansley sherry ansley would start pleading and crying once oren was taken to the basement with others selby would order andrews to head to the van and bring him back an item that item would be a mysterious bottle concealed within a brown paper bag out from which Selby would pour blue liquid into a cup. Acetone? We'll get there. Now, Oren was not yet tied up like the others, but when Selby ordered him to administer the liquid to the other hostages, he refused and was subsequently bound, gagged, and set to lie face down on the floor. Oh, wow. I was like, I'm not going to give no mysterious liquid. Definitely not to my own child. Like, do you mean, like, like hand them cups or, like, force them? Like, make them drink it. Oh. Mm-hmm. At this time, Carol Nesbitt, Courtney, the 16-year-old Courtney Nesbitt's okay. mom, Courtney's mother, another concerned parent entered the store looking for Courtney. Bro, these parents are, like, top-notch. They're top-notch. They're, I mean, that's a that's a good parent. That's a yeah. good parent. You know, like, Especially you're worried about your child, go out and find them, like. Especially for the dad, is the child's like twenty. It's like well, you know what he's good enough. Well, back then, uh, people, it was people believed it was a lot safer, like compared to nowadays. Mm-hmm. People would leave their door on lo- doors unlocked, their houses, um, stuff and like probably, that. And um, the twenty year old, he was a Mormon like leader, right? Mm-hmm. So his whole family, like he's probably big on family too. Yeah. So like I would imagine that people would still feel safe in, in the community, but for his for their parents to go out and try to find them, uh, they probably mm. something was eating down with them. Like oh my gosh, is, yeah. It's not like you went to the bar afterwards. Yeah. So she too was bound and taken hostage, being placed next to her son. Next to her son, Selby and Walker would now sit up all the hostages and force them to drink the blue liquid that they said was only vodka laced with sleeping pills, when, in fact, this liquid would be Drano. Drano? Drano. That's that's a random thing. 
It's a household drainage cleaner used to decompose organic matter. Oh, I didn't know it decomposed mm-hmm. it. A highly corrosive substance that if you were to come into contact with it, it can cause rashes and even burns if not treated right away. And like they're gulping it or they're, for- oh, they're forcing them. So why choose this atrocious and vile way of torture? What would make them think of coming up with such an idea? Well, we later find out that in the 1973 Clint Eastwood movie, Magnum Force, a prostitute was also forcibly made to drink liquid drain cleaner and was killed by it. Detectives, after several interviews, would locate a clerk at the Hill Air Force Base's theater. They had a theater. That's that's pretty, I mean, that's pretty cool to have a yeah. theater there. Well, the moving picture. Yeah. The same base where the two characters are stationed at. The clerk said that he remembered Selby and Andrews had watched the movie three times in one day, having been joined by Roberts for two of them. Okay. So They were taking notes. They, they were quite in- <laughs> inspired by the movie, unfortunately. The victims were then forcibly made to drink the liquid, which immediately caused blisters on the lips caused burning on the tongue and throat and peeled flesh around the mouth. Okay, this is... So the first murder, which not enough evidence if it was the person or not, that's a very personal murder, I feel like. Stabbed in the face? He's sadistic. uh, I was was thinking at first, like, oh, poison, probably. That's little... It seems like you're taking the blame away from yourself. But now he seems like he's like really enjoying it. He he is, and it's... it's, That's a terrible way to die ordering like others around to do it he he ordered andrews to go get the liquid and he tried to order the father to make them drink it like he i feel like he just loves to just watch these people Mm -hmm. suffer and it's it's awful the two would then try to duct tape their mouths closed to hold in the liquid, but the adhesive would not stick due to oozing blisters. Like, it was getting bad. Like, like they were trying to force it in their mouth to make them swallow. It even makes me gag thinking about it. I would like, just... Not that I would. I would just gag them back up because I'm guessing the use of some type of, like, cloth. You can't really throw up with a cloth in your mouth. I don't know. It was... Well, they tried to, they tried to force it down, but it was... It was Clearly unable to make them, like, hold it down. Now, it's a little unclear to me if Ansley was made to drink the the liquid uh, because I have two sources claiming differently from one another, but I saw more that she was forced to Is drink she the it, just not as much. The 16-year-old, okay, yeah. Okay, okay. I, I think she was forced to drink it, but, like, not as much as the others. She was at the very last. She got all the guns. No, she wasn't the very last. She was like one of the first? She was probably in the middle. I don't know if she was the first, um, but I know that she wasn't the last. Um, Oren, though, was made to drink it last. The father. Okay. um, Walker's dad. But after seeing the suffering of the others and what it had done to them, he allowed the Drano to be poured into his mouth and then faked the convulsions and screams he had seen from them. Which is pretty smart. Like, I mean, and to be fair, I feel like half some of it might not be. It, he might have been like he might not have faked half it. of it, but like, that's pretty smart. It's like playing dead in a like 
something happens. There's like a shooting. I would like probably play dead. I know it's it's smart to be and to be placed in that kind of situation where you're all emotions and all like rationale. Watching his son die in front of him. Watching his son and to be able to think that and execute it is pretty pretty smart. You gotta give props to him. Yeah. Selby would now become angry that their deaths were taking too long and how noisy and messy it had become. Out of anger, he shot Carol and Courtney Nesbitt in the back of the head, killing Courtney. No, killing Carol, but Courtney managed to survive it. So the mom's, she's done. That's the next level. First of all, you brought the Drano, so you knew this was going to happen. Second of all... He was like, yeah, I'm, I'm bored. I'm bored of this. Y'all are too loud. I'm just going to stop this right now. Uh, and, he was, and he was probably worried about, like, the noise, like, other people, like, maybe outside, even though it was in the basement, outside hearing it. Uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. But for me, I would have just started with the handgun. Oh, my gosh. Well, he enjoyed the torture. But, like, we're not, suppo- we're not supposed to think like murderers. Well, you got to get we're inside the murderer to solve the murder. Uh, well, yeah. But that's a detective's life, which I... I could not handle. He then shot Stanley before he moved on for Oren as well, firing another shot, which just grazed the back of his head. So. Hold up. So it wasn't execution style. It was basically execution style, but he managed to miss Oren. These are trained soldiers, correct? Well, they've only been there for just a few months. Not Wait, even you have to go months. through boot camp. Well, yeah, uh, I chair guess. Chair force, chair force, chair force. I think it's... <laughs> After all this, Selby would then take Ansley away into a distant corner in the basement, ordered her to remove her clothing at gunpoint, and would repeatedly rape her. When he was done with her, he dragged her back, still naked, with the others, and shot her in the back of the head, with which her last words, according to testimony, were, I'm too young to die. What an awful way to go out. What an awful way. It's, it's truly terrible. Now, if we had DNA testing. Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll get. Back in the, it was a different time. I mean, time. it's not, we're not going to find them by DNA testing, but. The two would now go back to Oren, noticing that he was still alive. Pierre, or Selby, would grab him, wrap a wire around his neck, and began strangling him, but that didn't work. At this point, the two placed, whew, they place a ballpoint pen into his ear that Selby would stomp on, puncturing Oren's eardrum and exiting through the side of his throat. Why? They're sadistic. They like, have a gun. What? I don't. They they enjoy torture. It's I don't know. People, They're going back and forth too. So they went from torturing them. It's like oh, I'm bored, or like it's too loud. Shoot them. It's like ah, oh, I missed. Well, let's have a little bit more fun. Strangle and then stomp a pen into their ear. They got creative, That's though. Th- ugh, awfully creative. That's disgustingly creative, but... Ugh. Did they kill him, though? The pen through the eardrum? No. Oh, that would seemingly be the end of their tirade, as afterwards they went upstairs, finished loading the equipment, and left. After four hours had gone by... Oren's wife and other son had arrived at the store to look for them. That's when the son would then hear noise coming from the basement and happened upon the grisly scene. Mrs. Walker would call 911, 
Stanley Walker and Sherry Ansley had died at the scene. So there were phones. They called 911. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there were phones, you know. Just, like, not mobile ones like that we have yeah, now, yeah. not nearly. Carol Naisbitt was still alive, but tragically lost her life in the ambulance on the way to St. Benedict's Hospital, now Ogden Regional Medical Center. Because of his condition, Courtney was not expected to survive, but against all odds, he did, yet with permanent brain damage after having been hospitalized for 266 days. Yes. Like, he was shot in the head, but he somehow managed to survive okay. Orrin Walker survived with burns in his stomach and esophagus, as well as the damage from the pen. So he he survived. That's must have been a. I could not imagine that. That the. So, we got two witnesses that they failed to kill. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the next twenty four hours would become crucial. Officers worked tirelessly, listening to any and all telephone tips, tracking down leads, and interviewing witnesses. With the help of Orrin Walker, the only one who could provide any testimony or description due to Courtney actually losing memory of what would happen that night. Courtney is the one that got shot? Mm-hmm. Okay. With his help, the detectives started their search for two black men. From what Orrin could remember, the taller one did most of the talking while the short one with glasses didn't really at all. So going back, the dominant and the submissive. Yeah. Also noting a Caribbean accent. With their final clue being either a yellow or cream-colored van being parked behind the shop. Were there two vans or one? There was two. Okay. But I think he noted the, he noted the colors. I don't know if the colors were of both of them or just of one, but okay. he did manage to note the colors. Now, like many murder cases, once it hit the public airwaves, a flood of calls would come in with most leading to a dead end. I can you know, imagine. Because people like to cause... Like, do they have bounties for that? It's like if you, if whatever you give us leads to the like closure of this case, you get like a thousand dollars or something. Oh, well, okay. there's a there's a lot of stories that have, uh, like if you can provide any information that leads to the arrest of someone, um, a, a money is rewarded. Okay, so like we'll reward two hundred thousand dollars for any information that leads to an arrest. Now, one such tip led the law enforcement to a local apartment that indeed did have a cream-colored van parked there. With a surprise greeting with many firearms, the man who owned the van said in his words, this is no local black involved in this. You're looking for some out-of-state dudes, which he would be right. Being bedridden, Oren was only able to provide so much help. Yet, despite his help, things were leading to nowhere. They just couldn't find a lead. Okay, okay. So, how, they live on base, I'm guessing. They live on base. But how far away is base from where we're known at? Like a, a, a few miles south. A few miles? Just a, few a couple miles, miles south. Like, it was like neighboring Ogden. I don't know so if it like, was in Ogden, but it like, like right neighbors Ogden. Is it kind of like the big, is Ogden like the big town that you go to for groceries and stuff like that? Or is it just like a neighboring town? No, I think it's like a town. Like, you know, uh, like a big town. Okay, okay. So they but probably there, go there, there was often. just like an Air Force base like off, yeah, yeah. off south of the town. Okay, okay. Yeah. So let's, not up until 5 p.m. Tuesday, April 23rd, they were able to find a lead. 
Two teenage boys were dumpster diving near the Air Force Base con- and contacted police after discovering the victims' wallets and purses, recognizing Michelle Ansley and Courtney Nesbitt from their driver's license photos. That's one thing I feel like I could not, like, I see a lot of, like, the missing children and blah, 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 blah. But if I saw the missing child, I probably wouldn't make the connection. Yeah, so, that is well, well, a well big done case? on them, like, not on dumpster diving, but to be able to recognize. I mean, they're just uh, surviving. Well, it was probably a huge story, like, yeah, the news was I, everywhere, because. Yeah. Nothing like that probably n- happens down there, especially yeah, cr- back then. Crime was not prevalent in that town. Coming to the scene, they began investigating the garbage. With suspicion of the killers being in the crowd that started to form of military personnel, they hatched an idea. Putting on a show, a detective spoke loudly and dramatically, waving each piece of evidence with tongs in the air as they were being removed. As most of the crowd remained still and silent through it, Two airmen in particular were noticed acting frantically, pacing back and forth around the crowd, speaking loudly and gesturing wildly with their hands. Hmm. I mean, if you're trying to hide from doing murders or just committing a crime, what they did is basically the exact opposite. Like, yeah, everybody else is silent. Meanwhile, they're doing everything to make them look suspicious. Well, they probably don't understand that they're doing it. It's probably like... Well, they're probably nervous. Hormones are going, like adrenaline. It's like, oh, we're about to get caught. Anxiety is probably what's going yeah, through their head right now. It was quite a thing to have read because... Well, I mean... What a stupid thing to do, but... That's probably why they do it because it works. It draws out. Yeah. So they immediately went to question the two. Detective Deloy K. White had actually recognized one of their names, Pierre Dale Selby. I know I knew he was a suspect in another homicide, but Dale Pierre's name never came up until we were on the base. The detective had just come up with the detective that had come up with that idea later received an award from the Utah branch of the Justice Department for his clever technique. I mean that's a pretty smart idea. They give out awards? Mm-hmm. Like, well, he, it was, it was a smart thing to do because yeah. he managed to find the two. Yeah. So it was a clever technique. The two were taken into custody and a warrant was issue, issued to search their barracks. Police found flyers for the hi-fi shop and a rental contract for a unit at a public storage facility whom the owner identified Selby as the one who had rented out the unit. A warrant was then issued for the storage unit where they would discover stereo equipment from the shop identified by the serial numbers. They also found the half-empty bottle of industrial drain cleaner that was used on the victims. So my reasoning is that they didn't die from drinking the Drano is because they didn't drink enough because... I'm sure you got to drink a good amount. You have to, yeah, you have to probably drink a good amount. So I think that they just didn't use enough. Because they probably just saw the movie and it's like, oh, she only drank like a glass and she died. Mm -hmm. But reality probably got to drink like us. Yeah, but with them drinking like very little, it just prolonged their suffering, Mm -hmm. which is just awful. 
With such clear and damning evidence, Selby and Andrews were formally charged with the crimes, Roberts being the only other one facing charges from the group, because I guess they weren't able to identify the other three that were involved, just Selby, Andrews, and Roberts. Mm-hmm. Keith Roberts. So there was a whole group, too. There was it wasn't a whole just group. these two. Like, they planned this. They so And they... Yeah, they were mani- they were wanting to steal and did they interrogate them trying to get the other ones? I they they probably did, but they just weren't able to find the other three. Hmm. And I mean, they stole about thirty thousand dollars worth of equipment. Divide that by six, you're only getting five thousand dollars. Is that really worth it? Is that five thousand dollars our in t- money? In, t- in our money, in our today's money, worth killing it's five thousand like dollars worth now. doing that, killing all those people? Hmm. No. Did the other three? Oh, we never caught them, oh, so we'll, we don't know. We'll, we'll get to that. The joint trial of the three f- for first-degree murder and robbery began on October 15, 1974, in the neighboring county. Courtney Nesbitt was unable to testify due to severe brain damage he suffered and also having no memory of what transpired that night. Walker, though, was able to provide key testimony. During his testimony, he called Selby a sadist and said he deserved to die, saying, after he shot Mrs. Naisbit first, then he was kind of prancing and walking in a manner that I got the impression he was kind of enjoying what he was doing. Like a skip or something. Mm-hmm. This has been hard for me. It's hard for me to believe that I was ever involved in this. My son Stanley's life was taken with two shots and Drano. He tried five different times to kill me. Each one could have been lethal. It certainly changed our lives. The official police report stated that six black men driving two vans had committed the robbery. Roberts remained with another man in the vehicles. Two would load the vans while Selby and Andrews brutally tortured and killed the victims. So was torturing a part of the plan? I guess so. Because I guess part of leaving no witnesses is... Detective White stated that Andrews was the brains behind the whole deal, the one who organized it, while Pierre was the enforcer, Selby. So the shy one is the one that planned it all? Yeah, like the brains. Okay. He was more brains while Selby was more of the bronze okay. in it. Selby was actually out on bail for car theft from a Salt Lake City car dealer. Oh, so they were both the kind of criminals. Murder. At the times of the murder. Huh? So the, they were both criminals. Not really Andrews. Andrews didn't really have a reputation. Selby did. Oh, okay. Like he, was, he was out on bail while the murders happened. So clearly they should have, while looking, put one and one together. Say, hey, let's see about current people with like a criminal history in the near Well, area. back then it was probably all paper files. Yeah. And I'm probably. sure it was a different county. You'd have to go through a lot of legal issues or a lot of red tape. I guess so. It's not like today. It's like, hey, yo, send me. We don't have the AI trackers link. nowadays. Send me that link. On November 16th, 1974, Selby and Andrews would both be convicted of three counts of first-degree murder and two counts of aggravated robbery. Both were given three death sentences, one for each of the victims killed. Roberts was acquitted of murder after the courts found he was not involved nor had knowledge of the murders. So it seemed that he was only a... Andrews and Selby knew that they were going to kill people. Oh, wow. Everybody else wasn't in on that It was plan. like, oh, what? They were just in the car getting ready 
Mm-hmm. It's hmm. just they probably just thought that they that they were going to steal some stuff and make away that makes like bandits. More sense. Yeah. Yet he was convicted of two counts of aggravated robbery and sentenced to five years to life in prison. He would be paroled on May 12th, 1987, after oh. serving 13 years in prison. The driver got parole. He, yes, Robert okay, got okay. The Not one who Shelby didn't have any knowledge of the murders. Got you. Now, during their, uh, now during Andrews and Selby's time in prison, they were especially hated there by prisoners and particularly on death row. One such murderer who was also facing the death penalty was reported saying, I'll see you in hell, Pierre and Andrews, or something of the like, as he made his way past their cell, their cells on the way to a firing squad. So they did firing squads back then, or I'm guessing in Utah. I guess so. In prison, Selby would end up changing his name 27 times, with the reason reportedly being to protect his family from notoriety. I feel like after you change it like twice max, no one's going to be digging that hard. I mean, he obviously didn't care for the people that he killed, but he cares about family. Yeah, and also... Whenever he moved away from them, and I would guess being a troubled child, like, he probably was super rebellious to his family. Yeah, so, I mean, he moved away from them. Just I'm guessing he, get yeah, away or something. Yeah, he moved away so to protect his family from notoriety. And isn't his like name already out in the papers? I'm guessing. I would guess so. It was, pro- it was probably in a different name, but he finished on Pierre Dale Selby. Okay, so Pierre. So the, that like, was his. That was the final name change. Okay, so that wasn't the one he was born with. I I guess so, but. That's one none, we're of, none of the sources refer to him in a different name. It just said Pierre Del Selby okay. uh, whenever I was researching this. So during Selby's clemency hearing, he stated that he had a strict upbringing and was a changed man. At the hearing, Pierre said the crime took a course of its own. I, it wasn't planned that way. People kept coming in and I just panicked. The only way to prevent what happened was to have been moved away from the Air Force entirely. Of course, the alcohol and the pills I was consuming didn't help. Valiums, reds, black beauties, and yellow jackets. Everyone has a limit beyond which they go. Drugs, etc. can alter that limit, I tell myself. You have to accept responsibility for it. You did it. You were there. You can't rationalize it. Andrews, though, would say that he never saw him drink or using drugs. Yeah, it sounds like he's making up stuff. He's just making up shit. It, it sounds like even if he did, he's just throwing the blame somewhere else. Yeah, it's... Well, so a clemency hearing mm-hmm. is a hearing to get a motion for a lesser uh It's kind of like if you've been on good behavior or something. I, I guess so. It's like um, saying like move them down from uh, the death penalty to life in prison. Yeah. Yeah. But give them a chance. Yeah, he was he was just throwing things out there, which was refuted. He was ultimately denied. Let's see. During his final day, he rejected his meal and instead spent it fasting, praying, singing hymns, and reading the Bible. His last words were, "Thank you. I'm just going to say my prayers." With him being executed by lethal lethal injection on August 28, 1987, at the age of 34, leaving all of his money to Andrews. 
all of $29. <laughs> and going back, I there's a lot of uh, ca- cases or examples of murderers, like criminals, using the Bible or religion kind of like as a final excuse. Mm-hmm. You know, because there was the... Waukesha, the Waukesha uh, parade that the trial for, oh, what's his name? Oh, the dude that like killed six people? Mm-hmm. I forget his name, but... The crazy trial that like defended himself? Or is this a different one? No, 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 no. That's, that's something else. No, this uh, man, he ran through a parade um, in Waukesha, like in the north, yeah, they were having a Christmas parade, and he just ran through it, killing six people and, and injuring like sixty-eight others. And I would watch the uh, trial go mm-hmm. on, and he would just sometimes sit there, just reading the Bible a lot, and like praying or something like that. And it's really aggravating to see that like they're using religion or the Bible as like an excuse, like as something to separate them from the crime that they committed. Yeah. Like as putting, putting, using that as a barrier, like it's super frustrating to see because obviously they're, they're not, there's no meaning behind what they're doing. No. And it's, it's so stupid and it happens. So it's probably the first time he prayed in his life. Yeah, Daryl Brooks. Daryl Brooks. That's what that's what his name was. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. He's he's now uh, <laughs> in person forever. Like he, uh, people were shooting for the death penalty for him, but um, it so both of them got, got life in prison, not death. No, these two got the death penalty. Oh, oh, you're talking about the. I'm talking okay. about the uh, the parade. Yeah, yeah. Uh, car driver. Um, yeah, he got life in prison without the possibility of parole hmm. which people were super mad about they wanted the death penalty but apparently one juror did uh refuse is that more modern that. though more modern um I mean? the what you're talking about yeah yeah this happened last year yeah they don't get they don't like giving out the death penalty nowadays yeah so andrews was executed five years later also from lethal injection at the age of 39 18 years after his conviction they should have used Drano. Oh my god! I mean, yeah, for the what they put him through. Hopefully, the prisoners gave him a, a what for in prison. He also tried to make a claim at his clemency hearing, citing him being a changed man. But his prison record showed repeated violations for setting fires, concealing makeshift weapons, possessing drugs and alcohol. Which, how do you get drugs and alcohol in a prison? I mean, you'd be surprised. There's a whole ecosystem in there. I guess so, but like, he who, knew who's bringing in that type of stuff? How, and how is it getting past security? Baby mamas. Oh, my gosh. Um, and he was planning escapes and assaulting guards. His death sentence would particularly spark controversy. Following the convictions, the NAACP and Amnesty International campaigned to commute Selby and Andrew's sentences with reasons of racial bias during the trial. What? Yeah, well, get this. One of their claims noted that they were two black men, and the victims and jury were all white. They pointed out that the sole black member of the jury pool was stricken by the prosecution during jury trial, but it was found that the reason 
was that they were a law enforcement officer and who personally personally knew just about everyone tied to the case. Yeah. So of course they're strict. Yeah. They're gonna have bias. You want a non you want a non biased party. So it just so happened that he was African American. But yeah, if he was on a thing, he wasn't gonna be going for them anyway. I mean, most likely not. The jury selection also reflected the demi- the demographics of Ogden being a dominantly white town at the time. Following suit of the NAACP, Andrews also accused the judicial system of racism. In a USA Today interview, which, why are they interviewing them? Why would you give them the spotlight? I think it's like a... They do interviews because, one, it gets views, and, two, it's kind of see like, get in the mind. It's like, why I, did you do this? I guess so, but that's just... Like, what were you thinking? Uh, me, personally, I, I think that's just something that you shouldn't do. Like, I mean, like, we, like, you watch like, the... Like, put them away forever. Don't let them see the light of day again. I guess, but, like, you saw the Dahmer, like, Netflix documentary. Yeah, people... It gets views. Unfortunately, people romanticize murderers. Like, some people were finding, uh... The Jeffrey Dahmer, like, kind of cute. cute. I'm like, no, he was a murderer. Don't do that. Look at, you haven't looked into his eyes yet. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Um, but if you remember from earlier, their plan was to leave no witnesses. Um, from that is relating to him saying that he never intended to kill anyone. He brought Drano. He never, he, yeah, he brought Drano. They planned this. Their plan was to leave no witnesses, and he's going to tell them that he never intended to kill anyone. So after Selby was executed, a petition for a stay of Andrew's execution was filed to the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights. The commission alleged that there was a handwritten note found in the jury area during recess stating or saying, hang the N-words. And also that the judge refused a request or a request for mistrial and their right to question the jurors about the note. Since then, this incident would shake Ogden to its core. A larger, more aggressive attention would be placed on the African-American community with stories of law enforcement unfairly targeting them. Tensions would be felt for many years afterwards, the murder still being on the minds of those who could remember. Hmm. So the high, the hi-fi murders are still seen as one of the worst crimes to have ever been committed in the state of Utah. The case is now taught to trainees at the FBI Academy at Quantico, Virginia, and was a sample case in the FBI's crime classification manual. Oh, so like just like just the how notorious the the murders was. Oh, I can imagine. Like how just awful especially with like everything afterwards it probably brought it probably seen in the media for years i know but like have you have you heard like the recent of like uh the the four college students murdered i think in utah i think i believe it was utah no yeah there's the it's called the utah the utah murders or something like that i think it's with the utah murders i might be wrong but there is four college students that were also murdered that the the trial's going on now, but I believe that would possibly not hit as the level of just like awfulness that but the high like murder the second was. Closest. But it's it's a that one's a pretty awful one too. Yeah. So life for the survivors would forever be affected. Courtney Naisbitt's story had become the basis for the book Victim: The Other Side of Murder. 
The book was particularly notable for its focus more on the victim side of a violent crime instead of the criminals. Nesbitt suffered chronic pain for the rest of his life and due to his extensive brain damage, he was unable to maintain enrollment in college and was forced to drop out, unable to hold down a job, and would have to apply for social security assistance, which is just sad. So sad. But it's a, After all that he endured just to live life, like struggling, suffering. Is... Probably going to do stuff by himself. Yeah. He later died on June 4th, 2002, at only the age of 44. Oh, wow. Oren Walker would live on into his later years of life and passed away on February 13th, 2002. Oh, so he, he lasted. He lasted. He was, he, I believe that he recovered from them and was able to... Just live on, I guess. So did he outlive his son too? Well, yeah, his son died at the. At the oh, I was thinking him. about someone else. Yeah, Stanley. He was he was uh, shot um, and killed during it. But yeah, that is the story of the Hi-Fi murders and my case sources from that being morbidtourism.com, abc4.com, standard.net. Wikipedia.com, Weber.edu, Murderpedia.com, and Deseret.com. What are your takes? What are your takes on this? What a really horrific crime. There's some sadistic people out there. I know. It's crazy. It's it's really crazy. But, yeah. So. Praise for the families, at least. I couldn't imagine going through that. Praise for the family. Yes. And for the people still being affected in Ogden. Oh, yeah. Because it's what I read earlier. Like, that murder caused a lot of attention between the communities of Ogden. Oh, yeah. So, um, hopefully, I don't I don't know of an update about that, but um, hopefully, like, the community has gotten back to I'm sure normal. it has by now. I'm, I'm sure it has. It's had, like, what, 50 years? 2023. Yeah, like, 50 years. But it's still it's still, like, a... A deep stain on their uh like town history like mm-hmm. for that to happen but yeah i think hopefully that everything has gone back to normal mm-hmm. from that but it's still an awful thing for the people that who were there to remember it but yeah so that was yeah. our fir- very first story our very first podcast for thanks for listening in the first degree thanks for listening we hope to do this more often if um, you have any recommendations of how we can improve or ideas of case sources case sources yes we're gonna try to make um an instagram for this so um you can dm uh the the social media profile for it and we could see some recommendations but yeah that's probably we're gonna try to get that so don't go look for it immediately because it'll probably not be up yet but once it is search for something around in the first degree if the name is not already taken we'll figure that out but yeah so we plan or hopefully plan to do this at least once a week and mm-hmm. we'll just see how this goes it's a learning process so stick with us yeah things will get trying. better quality will get better we'll we'll try to be better <laughs> you have a good night stay safe you have a good night stay safe thank you for watching and this has been in the first degree see y'all later